You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today we have a very special guest to talk NBA draft with us, Corey Tulliba, a.k.a. NBA Draft Dude. Man, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day out on Long Island, New York. I uh, got my coffee ready, and, you know, we're here to talk some NBA Draft in a more team-specific context, which is always exciting for me at this time of the year. So I'm, I'm amped to be here. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, man, we're excited to have you. Like, this is, this is like, kind of our favorite time of the year now that the Spurs have been in the lottery, you know, back-to-back-to-back years. Hopefully... They have some good guys that we can look at. Uh, before we get started, though, I just want to say our listeners need to be in the loop here. We always let them know when we record the podcast. So we are recording this on May 1st. It's about 1.05 p.m. Central Time. But as we stated in the intro, the Spurs are in the heat of NBA draft season. They have three first-round draft picks, and we have plenty of stuff to discuss with our guy Corey here. We're only going to focus on San Antonio's lottery selection today, so we're not going to be doing, you know, like 9, 20, 25, just the lottery selection. And I know Spurs fans are probably really tired of talking about guards. You know, they, they went with Primo and you have DeJounte and you had Derek White and Lonnie and Devin Vassell. And I, I get it. But at this point, I think just to cover all of our bases, we got to talk guards. We got to talk wings. And that's why we're going to be talking about three guys in particular today. Shaden Sharp, Benedict Matherin, and Johnny Davis. But Corey, you're the draft expert. So we're going to go ahead and have you rank them for us, you know, Favorite to least favorite, and then we'll go ahead and break them down in that order. So for you, how do you have them ranked? Favorite to least favorite, I, that phrasing hurts me personally because I love all of these guys. <laughs> They're, you know, These are all great options that if you walked away with any of them, you should be stoked. My ranking in order for, for this group of wings would be Shaden Sharp, Benedict Matherin, and Johnny Davis. And Davis and Matherin are very very tightly paired um i honestly could flip-flop with them either day but definitely specifically for the context of this exercise i would have matherin ahead of dave uh david dame do you feel the same way yeah i think uh i'm i'm the in the exact same boat uh i'm a shade and sharp guy so we'll talk about it later about that um <laughs> i also like benedict matherin a good bit but yeah johnny davis for me uh he would be the the he'd be third in this uh, in this ranking that doesn't say that you know that i don't like him or we don't like him personally uh it's just that you know compared to these other prospects i'm uh, more of a matherin than a sharp guy yeah i think i had the same exact order on my big board not like literally one two three but that's the order i have them in terms of how we like so why don't we go ahead and start with number three where we'll work our way to number one so number three johnny davis i think most spurs fans are probably aware of who he is but Corey, go ahead and tell us a little bit maybe about some of his strengths as a player, maybe some areas of improvement, how he fits with the Spurs, the scalability of what he did, and just you know, just get a good feel for him. Yeah, so Johnny Davis, uh, Wisconsin guard, he probably had the biggest load of maybe any guard in college basketball this year. You know, the, what he did this season uh, for Wisconsin, averaging nearly 20 points per game, nobody saw coming. This is a guy that, you know... Um, at No Ceilings NBA, I track the draft stock of players from the preseason all the way to the end of the season. Johnny Davis was not on the radar, you know, coming into the year, really, as a, a big-time draft prospect. That changed, and he's been, you know, a consensus top 10 guy, basically, you know, from the first month of the season in, because this dude was getting buckets. And not, you know, we're going up and down, it, not like uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, Memphis Grizzlies playoffs, where it looks like, you know, the, the highest level LA fitness game ever, like <laughs> in a, a jumbled up, everybody's focused on Johnny Davis in the half court, just getting buckets. He's a smooth shot, uh, tough shot maker. I love this kid. I think he had a really good year uh, or preseason offseason working um, and playing with the USA team for FIBA. I think that that really helps his confidence coming into the year, knowing that he could be in this role and succeed. And he really did. I mean, from the jump, this is just a dude who like led this team and made them really, really competitive in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, he he kind of reminds you 
a, a little bit at times of you'll hear comps to Brandon Roy. Uh, you'll hear comps to <laughs> Devin Booker. I like to call him um, kind of a, a smaller Joe Johnson. That That's just kind of the player he is. Like, he loves operating out of the mid-range. He's not like this super bouncy guard, but I think his athleticism is a little bit underrated because he's very, like, quick and agile, and he gets low, and he'll he's got long strides, and, like, there's just a smoothness to his game when he's getting to the hoop and getting to his spots. I think a lot of people have concerns that if you look at some of the percentages – they're a little bit low, and when you think of, you know, shooting guards in an NBA context, the NBA really wants guards that could score efficiently. But I think if you just look at the raw numbers, you're ignoring the context of the load he had to carry compared to so many other players and how often he had to have the ball in his hands and create. And um, I'm not saying it's not a concern. The three-point shooting, obviously, like, it's a little low. And there are some mechanical issues. I think sometimes his elbow flares a, a bit, but nothing – to the point where, like, I'm concerned about him long-term as some inefficient scorer. Now, if you put him in the number one option role, I think maybe that's where you see the scalability kind of not translate from college to the pros, right? But I don't think that's what a team is going to be drafting him for. This isn't a guy who we're talking about in the top three. This is a guy we're talking about in that probably anywhere from 5 to 12 range, I think, is where he could realistically go, which is probably speaks to this draft and how confusing it gets. Um, but I think that when you look at him in the context uh, for San Antonio, I love him playing next to a guy like DeJounte. Uh, I love him playing next to a guy like Devin Vassell. And I think that he fits the culture that everybody's kind of accustomed to from the Spurs. He's a silent killer. He's not beating his chest, but he's got that confidence that like, he knows he's a badass too. And he plays like <laughs> it. And he plays with the confidence that like, he knew he knew he wasn't supposed to be the guy that's getting this talk. Right. So it's not like he's all of a sudden starting to feel himself with all the draft hype throughout the year. He's just doing his thing. He gutted it out. He suffered an injury at the end of the season. Um, and when you see his efficiency dip a little bit even more at that point, like he was just battling through. And a lot of guys in his position could have just said, screw it. Right. Like, I don't need to I'm going to be a top seven pick. Like, I don't need to play these games. But he wanted to do it for for his team. Um, and I, I can't say enough good things. He plays it on both ends of the floor. Obviously, if you're going to look at a game and you want to see like his high-end upside as a shot creator, you look at the Purdue game where he threw up at 37 or 38 on Jaden Ivey. And I think when you watch the playoffs, when, one of the things I do, especially now around this time, you watch the playoffs and you, what's important, what translates, right? And I think that sometimes you need guys to have hit tough buckets. And he's a guy that I think is going to be able to do that in the NBA where there's more space and there's more passing outlets and he's not the only threat on the floor. So I, I think he really fits well into the team construct. I think he fits well into the Spurs construct. And um, he, you know, he kind of offers like a little bit of a safer bet than Josh Primo is, is what I'd say. And I think that both of those guys can also play together on the floor at the same time. So it's an interesting dynamic putting him in the Spurs system that I really like. And, hey, for anybody who has shooting concerns, I mean, you put him with Chip England, and, you know, is there a better <laughs> spot in, in the entire NBA for him to land, right? So I'm a big Johnny Davis guy, and, and so it hurts me to have him ranked last for this exercise. Um, but I think that the other guys are a little bit more of seamless fits or have, like, a little bit higher upside. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Dame, I know you wanted to say something, too. You can say something first, and I'll ask a, a, a few more questions. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I don't know if y'all would agree with this, but I think Davis is a pretty, like, relatively high floor. Uh, I think as a, you know, as a 3 and D prospect, I I mean, I don't, I would be shocked if, like, he was a quote-unquote bust. I hate using that word, but I just kind of feel like he, he just, his, his skill set translates really easily. I think one thing that I would, what really interests me about uh, watching Davis and kind of reading up on him is that, so he, like, self-created over 71% of his field goals this season. Uh, which is, that's really, really impressive. That's a really high volume, too. Um, another thing that I kind of just felt, after, you know, after watching him, is he really does play to his strengths. Like, he knows what he is, and he knows what he's not, right? Uh, obviously, he's not the best athlete. We know that. But I think, overall, as a talent, he's he's definitely a high IQ kind of guy. So I think, you know, for this exercise, like, yeah, it, where it, it, it makes it seem like we don't think he's quote-unquote good because he's ranked last, but that's not the case at all. I think he's a really solid, solid player, and especially, uh, like Corey mentioned, in that Spurs range, I mean, he does make sense. Like, if the Spurs need day one contributors that can fit a role right away and carve out something for themselves, 
I mean, he'll do that, right? Like, we know this. Uh, but at the same time, I think, yeah, the upside is a little bit limited here. Uh, you know, on, dri- on dribble jumpers, he made only 35.5% of them uh, from the mid-range and just 30.6% from three. So there's definitely some questions there. But I think overall, uh, he's a pretty high floor prospect, in my opinion. And one of the things that you said, Corey, that I think is very much true is the context is really important. Like, I didn't think the spacing was all that good at Wisconsin. I, I went back and looked at some no, of their team wasn't. numbers. They were in the mid-300s out of, you know, like 360-something <laughs> yeah. teams and three-point rate, three-point percentage. He didn't have, like a particularly good role man. And that's another thing that I wanted to talk to you about because I think you look at his usage and it was on par with somebody like in the NBA, like a Trey Young, but he didn't have a ton of assists per game. He didn't really turn the ball over a lot either. I thought he made some pretty decent basic reads, hit the role man, hit open shooters when they were there. But I kind of want to know where you are on him as a playmaker because I wasn't sure how much of that is the context of his situation. There weren't really a lot of outlets and there was so much attention on him, or how much of that is, you know, he's really just like a, a basic read kind of guy. He's never going to have the ball in his hands that much in the NBA. I think that it's a little bit similar to the Cade Cunningham situation in college where Cade was, he came in, he was billed as this kind of like jumbo wing playmaker, right? And then he gets to college and it's like, he's got more turnovers than assists. The playmaking, uh, the assist numbers aren't anything to write home about. And all of a sudden people are starting to like, reconsider if the playmaking is a big part of his game and if you were just looking at the stats that's what you would be led to believe but when you watch the film you go oh a lot of his teammates are just not missing shots right like that's part of it and I think it really stands out at the college level um he certainly is not gonna be a big time high usage playmaker like a Trey Young like that's not what he is but I do think that he's a guy in the NBA when you look at his assist numbers, when he's, you know, finally, say, year four, year five, you're like, okay, he's in that four and a half to five and a half assist range. I think he could get there depending on the role he's given. Now, again, I'll go back to the Purdue game because it's he flashed like a lot of the things that you would love to see when he's hitting his ultimate peak um, at the end of the game. Like, yeah, he hit a couple of really big shots. But what impressed me more than the shot making is he made a couple of really high level advanced reads as a playmaker that didn't translate to assists. So they're not necessarily going to show up in the stats. You have to watch. But like there's one specifically where he came off a high ball screen uh, in like, you know, one four pick and roll and he goes left. The help comes, collapses in the paint and he makes a live dribble one hand left handed just on the money pass to the corner for an open shot. And it was a very, very high level read. So he has, he's doing stuff like that a lot of times. Like if you want to go on YouTube and search full games, like you'll see he's a better passer than the numbers indicate. If you just want to go on Instat or Synergy and go through his assisting, uh, you'll see how often his teammates are missing shots that he's setting up for them. So again, I, do I think that he's going to be a point guard at the next level? Like, no, I don't. But I do think that for the role that he's given in that, how does he use his scoring to leverage his playmaking for his teammates? I think he's going to be capable of that year one. Probably not. He'll be inadequate, probably some drive and kick, you know, stuff like that. Hit the open man swing. But I think when you start getting into year three, year four, year five, you're going to start seeing these plays happen more often. And that's kind of the trajectory with a lot of these guards. You know, if you look at Devin Booker, he didn't come into the league as this guy who was able to leverage the scoring for his playmaking. Zach Levine really wasn't able to do that. I think we still want to see a guy like Donovan Mitchell learn how to do that a little bit more often. So that's something that takes time for these kind of guards. But I do think that he'll be capable of it down the line, even though, you know, it, it might be like you hear like, oh, four years from now, he'll be able to do that. You know, as fans, I think uh, we want it to all happen now. But I saw enough flashes this year in college, especially as the season went on, that I'm I'm a believer that he's going to be able to get there. Yeah, I mean, and for a team like the Spurs, like you mentioned, uh, like with the fans, I mean, they're you know, respectfully, they're in no spot <laughs> to compete right now, right? So right, right. regardless, regardless of that, like he obviously fits, you know, a need and can provide something. I feel like in year one he can contribute. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, you, like, I, like I mentioned, he's a high floor guy. I don't know if y'all feel the same way, but in San Antonio, I mean, a team that's, you know, not close to competing right now, I don't think you could be upset with a guy like that at nine, hypothetically, if you took him, because you know what you're going to get out of him. And I think he fits right away with what the core you currently have. So, 
I, I think I, it makes sense, right? Um, obviously, my kind of philosophy with the draft, especially kind of coming off the NFL draft, uh, is a little different than you know some people would you know appreciate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's kind of where I where I stand on it. I, I I'm glad you're here, Max. I just learned a lot of stuff as this is really really dope. I appreciate you. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you guys, and and I agree. I like I don't think he's a guy that's going to spend a ton of time in the G League coming in you know like he's pretty polished um in that regard so i do think that he'll be able to contribute and you know uh, look the spurs are in no position to like compete for an nba championship but i do think they are obviously in position to compete for the playoffs and especially at the end of pop's career i i I feel like he's a guy that is going to want to get the most out of his roster and continue to build and try to win um so in this position you know uh, it's hard if you look historically at like the guys that you would swing on for high potential picks in this range you're more often than not gonna miss you know what i mean so get even though it might sound boring to get a guy who has a high floor uh sometimes it's a smart move you know because you get a guy with a high floor in quotes in johnny davis um all of a sudden some team's disgruntled star becomes available and now that's an asset instead of uh nothing Right. And now you have a couple of pieces maybe you can move or I think Johnny Davis has all star potential, not perennial all star potential. But I think in his, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, Luol Deng made two all star games in his career. Type yeah. of thing. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. that kind of all star. That's interesting. So I guess one of the other things that I'm really interested to hit on was defensively, because I know the Spurs weren't a great defensive team. I think heading into last season, people saw, OK, Derek White, DeJounte Murray, individually pretty solid defenders. Uh, you got a guy like Derek White, really good team defender, also pretty solid man-to-man. DeJounte Murray's really disruptive on ball. He's more of an event creator than a true like lockdown guy. Yeah, but disruptor. in theory, people thought, okay, like this is going to be one of the better backcourts in the NBA defensively. And you have Yaka Pertl, who's, I think, at least underrated. by most people, I think, underrated as a as a rim protector. Really good numbers at uh, defending at the rim. He was part of the reason why the Spurs were had the second lowest field goal, defensive field goal percentage in the NBA at the rim last season. I liked him, but it didn't really work. It didn't work. You had a lot of guys who weren't really that great at fighting around screens. They had a lot of those 6'5", 6'6", 6'6", guys playing alongside Jakob Pertl. And so I guess my, my hesitancy is, do you add an, another one of them? Because I actually didn't think Johnny Davis was a bad defender by any means. I thought he was actually really good. For a guy who had such a heavy offensive load, really competitive, a lot of nights, at least in the games that I watched, he took the best assignment on the uh, on the perimeter for the other team. Like he was a guy who was engaged, showed good instincts in the passing lanes, was good at cutting off drives, using his chest, absorbing contact. Like I thought he was really, really good. So, where does he fit? I guess like defensively with the Spurs team, because I'm not even sure. Like right now, it would be Dejounte starting right at, at point yeah. guard. You'd probably have Demvisel at the two, Keldon at three. Does he start? I mean, does he start over Devin? Where does he fit in there, I guess? Because, again, I don't think they're in a position to just pass up on a guard just because, well, we have guards. But I also don't know where he necessarily fits in, not even defensively only on that end, but specifically on that end. Where does he fit? I, I guess I, I'm not sure where he fits in there. I, I guess for me, one of the things that I would envision with this current iteration um, and not projecting movement in any way like can Kel- like Keldon can play the four, right? I, I mean, um, I I, th- I think that the NBA is shifting towards like I think Johnny would slide in at the two, and I I would envision like Devin playing the three. That's what I thought he was coming out, and Keldon kind of sliding up to the four. Like I think you want that Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown dynamic on the wings. Like you want uh, the Raptors are uh, the the best example in the league. I think that's where the future of the league is heading. So I think that like. Johnny, defensively, to answer your question, I think he could fit in with these guys playing an interchangeable brand because, one, he cares. You know, I was talking to uh, an agent recently, and he was having one of his clients speak to some guys that are working out for the draft, just giving them advice, you know. And he was like, the number one thing you got to do is play hard. Like, try. Because that is a thing that matters in the NBA, and not everybody does it. So if you try, that's something you can use to your advantage. Johnny Davis is going to try. Like you said, even though he had this workload, he is going to play on both ends of the floor. He's got good, like, he's long, he's he's strong, so he's got, like, the physical measurements. Sometimes his footwork is a little bit sloppy. He'll kind of, like, karaoke instead of, like, sliding his feet, but he's giving effort. He'll get back in the play. 
very good at slithering over screens. Um, I thought he, I think he's one of the best in in that lottery group at doing that. Just his give a shit factor matters. You know, like uh, <laughs> I, I can't say that enough. And uh, good in the passing lanes, good at using the length. I, I think that he'll be able to help. He's not, you know, going to be a lockdown guy. But again, that's not what you're drafting him for. You're drafting him for two-way play as, like, a guy who is going to be able to get you tough buckets and help you on the offensive end, but is also not going to be a liability on the defensive end. I mean, the like, there are guys in the No Ceilings team who have Johnny Davis as the best guard in this draft, and that's over Jaden Ivey. That's over Shaden Sharp. You know, that's how strongly they feel about him. So there are people that feel that way, and it's hard to argue sometimes when you put on the tape and you see how hard he, he played how skilled he is in certain areas and how much of a workload and how how much worse his team construct was around him in the context of like the draft <laughs> to you know in comparison you put him in the high flying Gonzaga offense you know his some of those numbers might look a little bit better right so i i i think defensively he'll fit in and again he cares and that and that means a lot yeah dame did you have anything else you wanted to add there or ask any other questions no, no, no. On Johnny Davis, I think we covered that one pretty well. I'm, I'm excited to talk about Benedict Mather now, though. I like, I was watching him a lot this morning, and man, there's a lot to like there. But I would, I can't wait to hear Corey's opinion on it. <laughs> yeah, well, like, let's go ahead and do the same exercise that we just did with uh, Johnny Davis with <laughs> Benedict Mather, and let's talk a little bit about him as a prospect because he's very much different than a yes. uh, 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 Johnny Davis. He is not a guy who you put the ball in his hands and he scores a bunch, and he's a methodical. He's not that. That is not him at all. So. Go ahead and, if you could, break him down a little bit for us, and then we'll, we'll get into it and talk some of the team-specific stuff with the Spurs and how he might fit with them. I was really high on Matherin coming into the year. Uh, he was actually a pretty popular guy last year that people were thinking, like, he might stay in, and he was, like, a target in, like, the 20s that people were, were really excited about, and then he, he decided to come back. He played—I I thought he was really impressive for Team Canada in the FIBA tournament, and that's kind of what got me— going and, and having him as high as I did coming into the year. And, you know, he kind of lived up to expectations. I, I think the the biggest, like, selling point for Matherin is how much of a modern wing he really is. And when we talk about scalability, like, this is a guy who, because he doesn't need the ball in his hands a lot, and he is such, like, an awesome shooter, off movement, off the ball, and he it's just so easy to envision him on literally any team in the league. And, like, he's long, athletic, he can defend. Um, so just his scalability anywhere. Like, this is a guy, it, put him on any team, name a team, he'll find a role. What I love about him, like, in the San Antonio context is, like, DeJounte's a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot, you know, and he can play off of that. And I think that DeJounte's a really creative passer, and I think that Benedict Matherin is a guy who's really awesome at moving off screens and hitting tough shots off movement and pin downs and flares and, you know, uh, coming through zippers and, like, all this really cool stuff. I love that. But what really intrigues me is when you really watch, you go, okay, back to team construct. Does he have a little bit more in his bag than he was showing there because he showed a little bit more in Canada and when you start watching certain games like you start seeing that okay he actually also is able to do some stuff with the ball in his hands a little bit and it's it's not he doesn't have the ball in his hands a ton Dalen Terry Kirk Krisha, like these are guys like his role was to shoot off movement space the floor cut to the basket get out and transition but I do think he's got some stuff with the ball in his hands I think he's better um as like a pick and roll player in isolations than if you maybe the raw synergy numbers will will show. Not that he's better, but that he's got potential to have that be bigger part of his game. And that's what I love. Like I, I've compared him to Victor Oladipo for a lot of the draft um process because Oladipo was a guy in college. Obviously he went number two in the draft. So it's not like people were necessarily sleeping on these aspects of his game, but like that wasn't a part of his game in college as much. And it was something that when he went to Orlando, he was able to, you know, kind of organically grow as part of his game. And, you know, when he got to Indiana and hit his peak, it was like, okay, this is a guy who could do all of these things that you probably never would have envisioned him doing in college. And I think Matherin is in a similar boat. Maybe not, you know, I, I don't know if he'll get to that 24, 25 all NBA level, 
But again, I think that he's a guy who has that all-star potential, can do more in his hands with the more spacing the NBA will provide him. While also, even if he doesn't develop those parts of his game, you're still getting a high-level prospect because of everything that he does off the ball. And um, again, when I look at the playoffs, I go, could Benedict Matherin play in this playoff series? And I go, yeah. I think he can because he's going to play both sides of the ball and he doesn't need to do things. He's not going to make mistakes. He's just going to hit tough shots. I'm a big, big fan of just how well he could just seamlessly fit onto any playoff team. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very high on Matherin. He's younger as a sophomore than a lot, than fresh, some of the freshmen are. So he's a, he's young for his class. Like I think he's got a lot of potential. I also liked him quite a bit, and Dame, you can go ahead and go first. I'm, I, I have thoughts, but you go first, man. Yeah, no, no, no. So for me, what, what really stuck to me about Benedict Matherin was, like you mentioned, the off-the-ball stuff is fantastic, but even like stuff like out-of-bounds plays and stuff like that, he's a threat like to score no matter where he's at on the floor, whether it's as a lob threat, uh, you know, coming off screen, shooting a three, mid-range, it doesn't matter where. Like That's one thing that really stood out to me. Not only that, too, uh, I believe that there is some, like, pick and roll potential there as a score and just as a, as a passer as well. Yes. Uh, I was telling Noah off the air, like I think for me just kind of, you know, broadly saying I would take someone that can, you know, score off the ball well and they can develop, you know, as a pick and roll player, but they can already right now make basic reads out of the pick and roll. I think Benedict can do that, right? I think out of the gate, he yeah. can do that. Um, one thing for me too, is just athletically, he offers you just so much, man. I mean, that's in in a sense too. He's also a high floor prospect because, like you mentioned, off the ball he can do a lot of stuff. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. Defensively, I think he's really really solid. Or it's he's solid in spurts. Let's say I'll, I'll put it that way. But that's, yes, uh, yeah, solid in spurts. But um, I think there's just a lot he can give you. And I think you know, just a, a, a team like San Antonio and a guy like you know Dejounte Murray that could use kind of an, an, an off-the-ball threat like that with some gravity like that, I think it would make a lot of sense personally. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I echo everything you said. And I thought for me, man, watching this guy play, it, it's just kind of once the wheels start getting turned and you're like, man, imagine him, like, in the Spurs offense. Like, the Spurs already don't run a lot of isolation, right? So, like, they don't need someone to pound the, you know, pound the orange off, off of a basketball, right? Uh, but I think right out of the gate, he fits what you need as well. So, that's kind of my personal thoughts. I really liked, you know, what I saw from him. Now there are some concerns as well, but I think there's a lot to like here. And I also, before I kick it to Noah, I thought it was kind of funny too. In some of his, uh, you know, like you know, on ball, uh, you know, clips that I was watching, he has a very quick trigger. Like he's definitely a kind of a score first player with the ball in his hands, but he can still make, you know, some basic reads. He has some. He has some. Uh, he's really like a strong side vision kind of guy. So I personally liked what I saw. And uh, that's what I got to say, man. Sorry, no, I was going, I was going. No, on a you're good. No, there, no, no, but, absolutely, yeah. you're good, man. I was, I was just gonna say, like a lot of the reasons that I really like Devin Vassell a few years ago. I'm not saying they are similar or the same in any way, but a lot of the reasons I like Devin was you could see Devin coming in and contributing to an NBA team right away. And one of the things I really liked with Devin Vassell was at his freshman year at FSU, I think he took two off the dribble jumpers, and then his sophomore year it was 37, and he knocked down like 45 percent of those. And so you could see the growth there. And I feel like you can also see that self-creation potential growth from year one to year two for Benedict Matherin. And he also has that ability to come in and help you right away, potentially. Now, like defensively, I, I think he does have a lot of potential. He's bigger than Devin Vassell. He's a little bit longer than Devin Vassell. He's definitely more explosive than a guy like Devin Vassell is. Not that Devin can't get up, but Benedict Matherin gets up a little bit quicker, uh, higher, obviously, than a guy like Devin Vassell does. The dunk against TCU will, uh, (laughs) if you want to see what kind of athleticism he has. (laughs) But I really, I really, really like him. And I'd love to get your perspective defensively because I think that's always really important to to talk about the defensive end for him. So I think, I don't know if I I have this correct again. I don't know if I said this on air, but uh, just to clarify, most of the stuff that I watched, I picked out five games on basketball reference, the five best, Five worst by game score, went in synergy, watched the games, and then I took notes. So, like, from my notes, I thought he was not not great uh, on, on closeouts, sometimes a little over-aggressive on closeouts. He'd get a little bit flat-footed, and guys would blow by him who otherwise shouldn't really be able to blow by a guy as athletic as he is. So I felt like maybe some of the fundamentals he could work on, but I don't know. Like, I, I think the raw mold of him defensively with the tools, the athleticism, the length, like, all of that, I'd be really excited to see how he fits into that because I really like what the Raptors have going on. I'm not saying that he's like uh, like a, a, a Pascal Siakam, tall, long, or, or a Scotty Barnes, but that sort of mold where every guy on the court is long, athletic, can move their feet. Like I, I think he would be an interesting fit in San Antonio. 
And I was wondering, where do, where do you see him fitting? Because, like, we talked about how Johnny Davis might fit. But do you like Benedict Matherin's fit defensively a little bit better? Or do you also think he might be a guy who needs some time to sort of develop on that end? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll say there are not many players that come out of the draft that don't need time defensively. That That's the first thing. NBA defense is very, very hard. You know, there's so much ground to cover. You have to make such quick decisions. Uh, schemes are very complicated. There's pre-switching. There's different rules than college. So, like, I would say all the prospects are going to need time there. You know, like, it's very rare. And I think, like, Devin Vassell was such a high-level defensive prospect. He was, you know, maybe one of my def- my favorite defenders that I'd ever scouted in college. And, and I was, you know, so it's like, all right, he's a lock. He's going to be a great defender in, in the league, right? Like, it's harder to say that about a lot of other prospects. But you go back to the tools. You mentioned the Raptors. I wrote a piece for No Ceilings called, like, What Would Masai Do? Because I, he's laying <laughs> the blueprint for everyone, you know? And while he might not be the, you know, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi type of guy that Masai targets, like, there are parallels to a guy like Gary Trent with, um, with Benedict Matherin offensively in that kind of role but defensively like you said he's long he's athletic and he's got stuff that he has to clean up but I think he's gonna be at at worst like um you know an average defender at his position that's switchable like I I it's so important now in the NBA to be scheme versatile and to have size and length and be able to in the playoffs like not be a guy that you could get targeted because somebody's got eight inches over you right like Obviously, there are exceptions. He gets switched on to Giannis. He gets switched on to Embiid. Obviously, it's not going well. But if he's getting switched on to a wing, he's going to be able to comfortably be like, okay, I'm able to guard this person. So size, athleticism, he has those things. And I think the Spurs developmental system is like, you know, it's obviously the consistency that they've had over the course of my entire lifetime almost is something that benefits prospects that might be a little bit more raw on the defensive end. And I don't think Matherin is necessarily raw on that end. I think that he's coming from a good system, uh, good coaching, and he'll be able to be a pretty good defender, you know, within the first couple of years of the league, ultimately, especially if his, his role is off ball. Like if he just stays with the similar role that he has now, I think that he's going to fit into that. Um, and, you know, you get in, you watch film, you learn the game more. That's the most important thing because he has all of the tools to be the kind of defender you want. I, I don't think you get him in a high-level situation. He's just going to let a guy blow by him. He's going to give effort and make you work for it. So I'm not worried about his defense. His his defense-offense combination is one of the reasons that, like, like Dame mentioned, that he has a high floor. Like, I think he's got one of the higher floors from the wing spot just because he can get it done on both ends, and he doesn't need the ball in his hands um, to do it. So defensively, offensively, I, I think he's, you know, a home run for a team looking for a modern wing. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put that. And I think one of the reasons I like him a little bit more than Johnny Davis for the Spurs, at least, is I guess when I'm looking at what they did this year where they went with DeJounte, Either Derek, once Derek was gone, it was Devin, then it's Keldon, mm-hmm. and then they had Doug McDermott. Doug was, I mean, there's not really a nice way to put it. He was really, really bad on that end. I mean, I'm a Bulls fan. I, I, I've lived <laughs> through the Doug McDermott experience. It was, yeah, it was not conducive to having any sort of like defensive success, man to man, team defense. It was, it was all pretty bad. We were going through his numbers the other day. Not to, this is not like supposed to be a knock on Doug McDermott's se- segment, but <laughs> it was like of the players who guarded 600 shots last season, he had the fourth worst defensive field goal percentage. In the NBA, I mean, it was like almost automatic when you were guarded by Doug. I mean, he let guys shoot like 55% against him last year. That's not good. And so no. I guess when, I, when I'm thinking no. of like, they did just give Doug McDermott a contract that is, you know, last offseason. It's going to last a couple more years. If they are in theory able to move off of him, I would feel much more comfortable. Even if, you know, Matherin is not a guy who comes in and is super impactful right away. Long-term outlook. I feel like it's much better than having a Doug McDermott. Plus, I really like the shooting versatility that he brings. I don't know that he's as good of a shooter as Doug McDermott. He's one of the best no, shooters in the no. NBA. But I think he has some of that shot versatility. Like you said, he can run off screens, off movement. Um, and then even, you know, maybe some day down the line, have a little bit of 
self-creation beyond the Ark. So I think that makes him really interesting. Dame, did you have any other thoughts on Benedict Matherin, how he fits with the Spurs, or did you want to move on to the next guy? Yeah, I just have one last thing. I think, um, and this may be like, I don't know if this is y'all as well, but like for me, whenever I'm looking at like upside for like shot creation, I think one of the biggest things I'm looking for that I personally like really want to see it's just comfort, like, with the ball in his hands. Like, he doesn't look like, you know, Bambi when he, you know, with the ball yeah. in his hands. Or he looks, like, you know, uncomfortable with whatever's coming his way. And Benedict definitely, like, seems like a guy who can process, you know, the game. Like, the game never kind of moves too fast for him, in my opinion. Um, so, I just really, really am excited to see not only where he lands. Like, if he lands with the Spurs, that would be cool. But just in general, I think he's such an intriguing prospect. I've even seen him uh, make, like, I think, um, shout-out to um, Andy Spinella, I believe. That's uh, the boxing one on YouTube, I believe. Um, he showed one of the clips where um, where Benedict makes like a skip pass like across the court. I was like, man, like don't get me excited. Like if that's gonna be in the bag, like we may have something here. So uh, I think overall, I, there's there's some upside there. And uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about Benedict Mather, man. I'm I, I really enjoyed watching him. Yeah, and shout out to Adam too. Adam's fantastic. Adam Spinella over there. I think he's Coach Spins on uh, on YouTube, like Twitter yeah. stuff. You can follow him, check his stuff out too. He does, he does a really good, job. good work. Yeah, he really does. Um, I think he's got a Substack. That as well, yeah, it. definitely. And it's only like four ninety nine. It's not like you're you're not breaking the bank for that at all. So if you can uh, do it, I guess like the only thing I had left to say on Benedict is I kind of felt like, um, at least from that perspective as a playmaker, that's more of like one of those occasional flashes. Then it was like a consistent part of his repertoire. Yeah, but oh, yeah. um, yes. yeah, no, I, I really I I do like Benedict Matherin. I don't anticipate the Spurs picking him at nine. I don't anticipate them taking um, Johnny Davis at nine either. The only guy really, and this is a guy who we'll talk about last year, Shaden Sharp, I don't feel like if he's there at nine, which I don't expect him to be, but if he is there at nine, I would have a really hard time as the Spurs looking for a, another guy who can be a high-end self-creator passing on a guy like Shaden Sharp, regardless if you have Josh Primo, Devin Vassell, maybe Lonnie Walker's on the roster as well next year. We'll see what they do with him in the offseason. I just don't feel like you can pass on him. So let's talk about Shaden a little bit because I think he's the most he's the most difficult player to analyze out of this group, at least from my perspective. I had a really hard time. I went through all of his AAU tape that he had with You Play Canada. I watched some of his Dream City Christian film. And he also hasn't played basketball. Like when we get to summer league, he won't have played basketball for I think at that point it'll be 10, 11 months. So I just I don't know where I don't know where to land on him. I liked a lot of the stuff I saw from him, but I don't know where to land on him. So I'm going to kick it to you because I think you may have a little bit better perspective on a guy like Shaden Sharp than we do. Yeah, I no, look, I don't blame you for not knowing what to do with him. I've been toying with the idea of moving him up to number three on my board because um, there are some special, special things that he does. But obviously, like you said, it's hard to contextualize it because he's doing it against high school competition and he hasn't played meaningful basketball in, you know, at, when the NBA season starts, it's going to be over a year, you know, in a highly competitive environment. Um, Cause you can't simulate that in Kentucky practices. You know what I mean? Like you just can't level up the game speed like that. So it's hard. And a lot of my evaluation is going to be based on the Intel I hear when I start talking to people more about what he's like as a worker, as a person. Um, because you watch those the, the film and, the, and those two teams that he played on, and you're like, okay, <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of stuff here that looks like the kind of stuff of perennial all-stars because he is, you know, one of the smoothest shot makers in the draft, um, and he's doing stuff that makes that's just effortless, you know? And, and I know that it's hard to look at what people do against high school competition and try to project it, you know? If you did that exercise, Peyton Watson would be a top 10 pick this year. Patrick Baldwin Jr. <laughs> would be a top 10 pick. Jaden Hardy might be fighting for the number one overall pick. It's hard. But when you look at how effortlessly he's doing some of it and how he's hitting such tough shots, and then you add the kind of like special athlete that he is with his frame, and it's really hard not to get excited about him. But I think that he's got the potential to be, you know, maybe the best scorer in, in the class. Um in this NBA with, I mean, with the space and the pace and like, he could be special on that end. And you look at the success of Jalen Green, you look at the success of Anthony Edwards and you're like, okay, I could see that a little bit more. With Jaden Hardy, he had the shot making coming in, but he wasn't the athlete. Um, 
Shaden's the athlete, and he has a lot of the same shot-making things. So it's really easy to get intrigued by him on that end. With that said, he also, you know, has a lot of things that really are improve like pretty big improvement areas. Like his passing, I'm pretty low on at this point. I haven't seen a lot that wasn't in transition. Um, or if he's gonna make a read, it's way more drive and kick than anything that uh, is highly advanced. You know, he's I like to say there's like reactionary passing. And then, yeah. right? And then there's like the premeditated stuff that Chris yeah. Paul does where he already knows, like, okay, I'm going to come off this screen. One, if the big's in drop, I'm going to hit a little mid range shot, but I'm going to hit one of them. And then the big is going to come up off of me. And then I'm going to be able to make the read in the weak side corner as that defender kind of sinks in lower. Mm -hmm. And my man, like, he knows all this stuff, right? Shaden doesn't have that. And most players don't obviously i'm not trying to compare his playmaking to chris paul who's one of the best passers of all time just as an example like those kind of players know what's going on beforehand shaden has to react to what the defense gives him instead of knowing what the defense is going to do when he gets to a spot and then making plays accordingly and knowing where his reads are so as a playmaker i'm kind of discouraged right now but then also you look at the context aau <laughs> type basketball is a mess, right? Like, it's just, you're not going to be able to, it's a glorified pickup game with just high-talented players. That's what it is. So you're not getting into, put into a lot of situations where you would in a college system or in the G League where, like, now you're learning how to attack, like, set defenses that are changing and, like, you're working on it and going over it in film sessions. And, like, so there's that aspect, too, that you go, okay, the passing might not be there, but... That doesn't mean he's not going to have that in his bag eventually. But it's a gamble because there is no guarantee, and that's where you kind of have to talk to people who maybe have seen him practice at Kentucky or and see if you know he's picking things up in the film sessions. But that that's certainly a gamble. Um, and then the defensively, you know, out of all of the guys that we mentioned, he's the one that is the biggest wild card because right now it's not good. It's, it's not good. But he has the best, I think... Um, like, if you were just building somebody in a lab to defend, he's the one that you would build it out to look like. Super long, strong, athletic. But it's not there right now, and that's a gamble. Now, you could look and say, well, a lot of the big-time scorers in the NBA are not really relied upon to be great defensive players. And I would say, yeah, that's true, but go listen to any mainstream podcast right now or listen to Rudy Gobert and, like, Donovan Mitchell's getting killed because he's not a two-way <laughs> player in the playoffs, right? Like, so eventually that stuff does catch up to you in the playoffs. And when you're drafting, my thing is always, can this guy play high-level basketball in the playoffs? Defensively, we don't know if Shaden Sharp is going to be able to do that. And with that said, like I said at the top of this segment, I'm, I've been toying with moving him up to three because I think that his scoring and offensive package is special enough that if all of the, the intel checks out, like, I could comfortably take him there depending on what team is in that lottery spot and what their roster looks like. So he's a really, really big bag of mystery. He's one. Of, he's like the those segments on, like, uh, one of the late-night shows where <laughs> they, they make you put your hand in a box and you don't know what's going to be in there. Like, it could be a thing of spiders or it could be, like, a, you know, a fluffy bunny rabbit, you know? And, like, <laughs> that's what he kind of is. Uh, he's a mystery, man, but his top-end outcome is, is pretty pretty damn special. Yeah. And I think, I think, too, for a team like San Antonio, I mean, just from this perspective, I think that you take that risk. I mean... We're, like I mentioned, and I'm I'm not trying to say like they're a bad team or anything like that, um, but where they're at right now, I think you just take whatever. If he was there hypothetically, you take the best possible player available. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, and, and it's a no-brainer. Like if yeah. like at this spot, like it, let's say San Antonio's not moving up, and he just happened to drop, like that's a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly. Because right? like, the risk is mitigated a little bit because you're like, okay, like this is this is now it, instead of having to weigh him against. Chet Holmgren and Paul Boncaro and these guys that are like at the top of the draft where if you pass on them for the mystery guy, now you're passing on him for maybe like Jalen Duren, who people have question marks about or, or yeah. you know, like one of those prospects. 
it becomes a much easier exercise when you're looking at it from the context of like where the Spurs are currently slotted. Yeah, and I think too for him, like one a couple of things that stood out to me was I think he's obviously out of the gate. You know, really he's going to be really good in transition. Off the ball, I feel like as a cutter, he's really really good as well. Uh, he has like a really solid just feel in the half court off the ball. Uh, I think you know on the ball it's just shot creation stuff. Right now it's it's a little iffy. It kind of reminds me of like a like Dejounte Murray. Like whenever I watch him play, I think just his dribble package, like his ability to rise over uh, defenders and stuff like that. It reminds me a lot of Dejounte, maybe because I just watch him so much. But I think right now <laughs> he's he's really just able to like use his length and rise over guys. But I think uh, one thing that really stood out to me, and I told this to Noah like a couple months ago. And uh, I don't know if, you know, Corey, if, if you've been paying attention to the NFL draft or not, but I just finished five months, you know, head first in the NFL draft, went to Mobile, all that stuff. And Shaden Sharp is legitimately the NBA version of Malik Willis. That's exactly who he reminds me of, right? Like all the tools in the world, right? Flashes that make you say, oh my goodness, if this guy hits, it, you know, reaches his ceiling, if we can get him in our system and we can make him, you know, the best possible player he's going to be, you know, an all-pro. But in Shaden Sharp's case, he's going to be perennial all-star, right? Extremely good player. So I think for me, there's so much to like here. Obviously, there's a lot of questions. And it's, you know, in a sense, it's kind of boom or bust, right? Uh, one, you know, kind of subtle thing before I kick it to Noah that also kind of stuck out to me is uh, from his junior year to his senior year, he grew two inches from six foot four to six foot six. Now, if he's able to grow, you know, maybe another two inches or so, be six eight with a seven foot wingspan, I mean, you talk about versatility and being, you know, scheme versatile just <laughs> from an archetype yeah. perspective. I mean, that gives you a lot, right? So I think overall, I really, really like what I've seen. But Noah, and I'm going to kick it to you right now, it's really hard to gauge like what it is, right? Like, yeah. what is it right now, right? So that's just kind of where I stand. And I think, like, another thing that kind of made it a little more difficult for me to figure out where I was on him was when I watched Dream City Christian, I didn't feel like that was the same player we saw with You Play Canada. Like, a lot more on-ball stuff with You Play Canada. Uh, felt like he had more offensive freedom. He was clearly the go-to guy there. You know, he was he was doing more creative stuff off the dribble. Yeah, his scoring numbers uh, were Super there. efficient, too. I mean, I, I think you're, you're hoping for three-level scoring potential, even though I think right now, at least from what I was watching – um, you know, real, really good at finishing at the rim. I think he finished close to like 72 or 68, somewhere in that range at the rim and in, in, uh, with, with you play candid on the EYBL circuit. And then he was also really good, uh, off the bounce from three, but wasn't really that efficient from mid range. Not, not a very good mid range scorer there. I didn't think he played with a lot of pace. I think that's another thing with like a lot of young explosive prospects is they kind of play full throttle. I mean, he, he kind of did that. He didn't yep. really show like a, a not, I don't, I'm not saying he's not capable of doing it, but he didn't really like change gears very often. It was very one gear. I'm going to beat you. And the other thing that I thought was interesting for a guy who was so explosive, like uh, a vertical athlete, I didn't think he blew by guys like that yeah, often. He's uh, not off like the dribble. twitchy off like bursty. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. He's not. That's he's got the to bounce, but he doesn't have like that quick first step burst. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. Again, like there's a lot of things that like, it's it's similar reasons why like Leonard Miller in this class like okay a few years ago I don't think like many people know knew who Leonard Miller were like I don't think a few years ago people knew who Shaden Sharp was he was unranked then he has a little bit of a growth spurt he plays really well in the EYBL circuit he plays really well with uh, Dream City Christian I think he was with um what school was he with before Dream City Christian I I know he was uh it was like a bigger program I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But but anyways, he, just the the quick rise. It just is like, uh, is it is he gonna be one of those guys who, if he had played in college, we would have been okay. Well, now we have some reserves about him. So I, I don't know. I, I love having that college tape because I feel like that's a good intermediary. It, it gives you a better chance to see what it looks like in a closer to pro system. Like that's as yeah, close to pro as you get. Like <laughs> th there is a big jump from high school to college, and I think that's the same reason that we saw, even though Imani Bates graduated early, similar thing. He played, but he didn't play that well at Memphis. And so now instead of guys who was very, <laughs> very high on him and, oh, you know, top recruit, this and that, now it's like, well, would he be a first-round pick? Would he be a lottery pick? Would he be this or that? So I just – I think that's some of my hesitation with him. But I did really like a lot of the stuff. Like it's not stuff that most players can do. And he has more athleticism than most players have. And it was just such a quick jump. It, it, was, it was encouraging in some ways because you go, okay, this is a kid that – you know, clearly put in the work. There were things that he wasn't very good at, and now he's good at them. You know, and he's got the athleticism on top of it. So I just I don't know exactly where I am on him. I have him sixth on my big board. I don't uh, right now. I don't think I could move him higher. 
just right now, but I like him a lot. And again, if he's there and the Spurs say, you know, well, we're not taking him, I think it would be a mistake. I think you have to take Shaden Sharp at nine if he's there, but we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I'd love to, if you have any other guys you want to talk about, because we talked about Shaden, we talked about Johnny, we talked about Benedict. Are there any other like sort of guards in that lottery range who, if you're the Spurs, you would at least maybe consider? Um, yeah, Dyson Daniels is definitely a guy I would consider. Uh, I mean, especially if the rumors are true and, you know, okay. he's grown to 6'8". Like, he's a guy that, one, you already have pro tape on him. So I, I actually think it's easier yeah. to <laughs> analyze those guys that are playing in the G League than the college game because they're playing the NBA game. Um, I got to see him live, which was um, – and and he was very good. He, he's a guy that's – he I guess from an outsider's perspective, uh, you would say is a very Spursian player because he's, like, a little boring, you know? Like, he doesn't have that flash, but, like, he's awesome. Um he was the guy from the jump that I was most impressed with in the G League. Like, when they played their first game uh, against the Iowa uh, G League, the Timberwolves G League team, like, he was the guy that you were like, okay, he's he stands out. He doesn't look lost. He's making, like, high-level, weak-side reads. The jump shot isn't hitting with consistently, but, like, in that specifically that first game, he was knocking down, like, step-backs from three, and, like, the form looks good. And he's the best, probably, defensive guard in the class at 6'8". Uh, then as the season went along, like, I saw him in January, and the shot was still, like, a work in progress. But again, I'm at this level where all these guys are at. I'm an eye test guy rather than a percentage guy. Like, if the shot looks good, it means that it'll it's workable. So I, obviously, if you hit at a good clip, that's a good indicator. But, like, if you don't and the shot looks good, I'm not worried at all. So I'm not worried. He shot nearly 45%, I think, over his not last nine or ten games from three. So he started knocking it down. Um, one of the things he's focusing on now in his pre-draft process is speeding the shot up, So, uh, which is important against NBA competition. But he's already used to the line. He's already used to an NBA offense. He's handling the ball. And, again, 6'8", can handle, you know, dribble, pass, shoot, defend. He can play in a playoff setting. And he could switch. What, do you want him to play the one? He can play the one. You want him to play the three? He could play the three. You want him to switch and play a little bit of, like, four? He can guard up and do that. So, and and his he's got the most fun chase down blocks in the draft. Like, that's, he's, it's unbelievable. His timing, his IQ. I love how he reads the game. His confidence. Um, I think that he's a guy that is going, you're going to start hearing more and more about Dyson Daniels, not only like in the top ten, but like potentially pushing for that like five or six spot. That ultimately is how I feel like when teams start getting these guys in for workouts. So I, I think Daniels is another guy that the Spurs um, should have on their radar, just because he dribbles. He offers so much of what the NBA, the modern NBA, is looking for. Do you think he's a? Uh, do you think he's a better athlete than like Josh Giddy? Because I remember one thing that. Oh uh, yes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Well, that's okay. This is why I brought it up. <laughs> I remember last year uh, going to this pre-draft stuff. I was like, man, if hypothetically if Josh Giddy was there for the Spurs, I would have ran to the podium and took him. Right. It seems like a guy like Dyson Daniels is like a plus version of that athletically, and I think as a playmaker, there's a lot to like there as well as a defender. I mean, so um, Noah and I have talked on other episodes how like the Spurs needed like really a playmaking guard, right? Whether that was going to be Trey Jones off the bench or whatever, right? Like they needed like an offensive initiator or someone that can just create for others more so than himself sometimes. And uh, it seems like a guy like Daniels would really fit that. Noah, I, me and you have never talked about, uh, talked about Dyson Daniels yeah, too much. Yeah. We've no, we haven't talked about him. about him too much off air ever. No, I, I was interested by him too in the G league. And I think one of the things that you mentioned that I think is important in the valuation process is not necessarily always reading too much in the percentages. Cause I think another thing that really goes against prospects is the sample size is much smaller. Like in the NBA, you play 82 games right. in college. You play like you know, 30, 35 games if you make it all the way to the, you know, the, the final. Yeah. The G League, Ignite specifically, they played, I don't have the exact name, number of games, but I think it was like 18. That's yeah, like it's, nothing. It's, it's, it's nothing. nothing. So you kind of have to go more by the eye test in that in that regard. But I did really like Dyson Daniels. I like him more if he's 6'8". I don't know. I'm sure we'll learn that at the, at the NBA Combine that's coming up relatively soon. So definitely an interesting guy. I don't think as far as like Giddy, I don't, he, Giddy is like on another level in terms of like his processing, his ability to, like make reads, see see uh, you know like 
passes before they're there. I don't think Dyson Daniels is there, but I do like him defensively a lot. I do think he's a good playmaker. He's a young guy, played in a pro setting already, like you mentioned. So that's an interesting guy. The only guy who, and I won't, we won't keep you too much longer, but the only other guy who I was sort of intrigued by, I, I had him like really low at the beginning of the year, but as as I kept seeing more and more and more and more of him, I was like, man, I, I got to move him up, got to move him up. Ryan Rollins, I don't know if you're like particularly high on him at all, but I... I kind of like him. I wouldn't take him necessarily in the lottery. Maybe this isn't the podcast for this, but he is a guy who I thought, man, he's really intriguing. I like him a lot. I don't know if this was a trap or not to, to get me to profess my Ryan Rollins love to San Antonio Spurs. Man. I'm probably <laughs> higher on Ryan Rollins than any other person on, on the planet, to be completely honest. He's a guy that right now he's still like, I just did an episode on on the Draft Act podcast, which is my, my draft podcast on him which was probably like a little bit surprising to some of my uh listeners just because he's a guy that is currently slotted like his average draft stock is like 54 or something like that um he played at toledo mid-major but i think that he he really looks a lot like a like smaller version of like brandon ingram is is kind of my my comp for him i just he's so smooth i love this kid i said on my podcast that like he was ranked, I think, 17 on my last time I like updated my big board, but he's probably going to end up in my lottery uh, on my big board. It, uh, the thing with a player like him is like I think he's got the lottery talent, the size, the attributes. I think he's the best ball handler in the class. I think he's his isolation scoring is on another level. It's just like at his draft slot, whether he gets picked at the end of the first round or in the middle of the second round is how much opportunity he's able to create for himself or a team is willing to give him having not been a priority draft pick. Um, but talent wise, I think he's as talented as any of the lottery guards. And if he was playing at a bigger school and he was on national TV, or if he had like, uh, you know, one or two games in a tournament in front of a bigger audience, I think, the conversation around Ryan Rollins would be a lot higher than it is now. But Rollins is a guy that I am super, super high on to the point where sometimes I think that uh, my teammates at No Ceilings have to talk me off the ledge a little <laughs> bit. But uh, I've started to push some of them or, or kind of drag some of them towards that ledge with me. So I, I'm a huge Ryan Rollins guy. And when I look at the Spurs picks um, at like 20 or 25, he's definitely one of those guys that would be priority targets for me personally if I was making the decisions. I have a question for both of y'all. So do you believe that he would be a guy that immediately could contribute for the Spurs and maybe take like a guy like Trey Jones' spot? Or how would you how would you envision like him in San Antonio if they took him at 20 or 25? And he's a much different player than Trey Jones, who's like a point guard. But Ryan Rollins is a bucket. Like, this is a dude who is a, a scorer. Like, he's much more in the vein of, like, a Josh Primo than he is of, of Jones. So, uh, it would be an interesting dynamic. Um, and developing two guys like Primo, like uh, Rollins, who can score at three levels, potentially, uh, would be interesting. But, I you know, he's a guy that I also think you could be patient with. He's a sophomore, but he's 19 years old. He's younger than Ty Ty Washington. He's three days older than Jaden Hardy, who's a guy you know he grew up playing with in Detroit. Uh, he's he's younger than a lot of guys in the the class, the freshman class. So I think you could be patient with him. You don't have to rush him as an immediate contributor. And he is definitely like he might not be a home run swing, um, but he definitely is a guy that like you can hit a double and potentially a triple with if if you get him at a certain spot. Yeah, I, I liked him quite a bit. I don't actually think he would play that much with San Antonio. I think it would be very much like what they did with Josh Primo. I think he's further along than Josh Primo by yes, by miles. I, uh, I agree. I, I don't think they're like – I think they are similar and they're like mo both more like score first, play make second. But I think it would be interesting to see him in the in the G League just sort of be able to have the freedom to do that because I just, I just don't think he would be playing in San Antonio, especially with – I mean, how many guards they have. But I do really like him. I, have, I don't like him as much as you do. I have him 22nd on my big board right now. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. I was just curious because I know I'd, I'd heard you talk about him a little bit. And I was like, man, I, I want you to convince me a little bit because I like him. <laughs> I don't like him as much as you do. But he is an interesting guy. But I think that's everybody who we wanted to talk to or talk about today. So we really, both from me and Dave. I do want to talk about one uh, Yeah, one go for it. Quickly. Yeah, throw, throw and, one more guy. This is, this is with more of the 20 or 25th pick or, you know, whatever. But, like, I think, and he's a guy that I, I, I've i heard that, like, might be uh, on the Spurs radar is Jake LaRavia from Wake Forest. Yeah. 
Uh, and I, I just had the opportunity to spend a couple of days with him, uh, watch him work out and interview him. And, uh, you know, I was really impressed by him. I, even if I hadn't gotten to, you know, sit down with him and spend some time, he's a guy that when you watch his Wake Forest film, he immediately pops as a guy that is another one of these dribble pass shoot. He's six eight. He's switchable. He guarded. He you know playing at Wake Forest in the ACC. He was able to guard everybody from Paulo Boncaro comfortably to switching out onto shifty guards like Caleb Love and Isaiah Wong. And I think that when you're at that part of the draft, his IQ. His versatile skill set, he kind of reminds me of like, um, I don't want to say poor man's, but whatever, you know, like a, a, he reminds me of Franz Wagner. Like, I don't want to say he's going to be have the, the season that Franz did, but the re- a lot of the reasons that Franz is having so much success at the NBA level, I think that Jake LaRavia brings a lot of those same things, albeit not at the same level of prospect as Franz. So that that's just another, the, the last guy I would like to, to touch on and put on the San Antonio Spurs radar because I think that he's a realistic possibility for them on draft night. And I think he makes a lot of sense for them with like one of those later picks that they have in the first round yeah. because they, one, one of their biggest needs is they need a guy who's like 6'8", six, 6'7", six, six, that sort of height range, switchable, can like shoot a little bit. Like he could take Doug like, McDermott's spot, I think, I is think what so. I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I liked him a lot, too. I mean, he had a huge year coming from Indiana State to Wake Forest. And I actually listened to what you what you did with him uh, over on your channel. I thought it was really interesting what he had to say, you know, that they sort of unlocked stuff for him this year. They gave him yep. more freedom to show off his playmaking ability, which is something that really stood out. I mean, I think I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he went from like less than two assists per game at Indiana State as a sophomore to like almost four, maybe a little yeah. bit over four with yep. Wake Forest. So just. Really intriguing guy. I, I don't know. I have my board in front of me. I have him 23rd, 24th, right after yeah, Ryan so Rollins right on range. my board. So I like him a lot, too. Um, but would you? I'll ask you this, and then we'll, we'll start wrapping things up. Do you consider him, and I guess this is like kind of a black and white question for something that's not so black and white, but right. is he more of like a guard? Is he a wing? Um, like, I know he's listed as a guard, but, I mean, yeah, he he's seems like he can— yeah. Yeah, he's not a guard. He's I, he, to me he's like the prototypical like swing forward. Like he can like I think you would ultimately like his position in the NBA is going to be as a 4 um who can guard up or down the lineup. But like you would he technically would be the the 4 in a in a team's lineup. If you put him at the 3, depending on your roster construction, I think you could get away with it. But he's just that utility Swiss Army knife kind of modern day four that I think the NBA is kind of trending towards. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's definitely a guy who's on our radar. We'll definitely have to go more in depth with him on another podcast. But man, we appreciate you so much for coming on here, kind of letting us pick your brain about those three guards and some of the other guards who we talked about. Um, but this is the part of the show where you get to promote wherever you want. So, you know, let let fans know where they can find you. Social media, uh, YouTube channel, podcasts, anything you're working on, really just lay it out there for him yeah i mean i one-stop shop for all in-depth draft coverage uh first and foremost no ceilings mba.com it's um the project that uh myself and and you know a bunch of other people had started at the beginning of this year uh i think that we're doing the best draft coverage on the internet we have written monday through friday and sometimes sunday every single day since the opening of the college season on a draft prospect nowhere else has covered as many draft prospects as in depth as we have, and uh, it's a it's a Substack, so you can subscribe. It's completely and totally free, so you can get it delivered to your inbox every single day. NoCeilingsNBA.com. You can follow at NoCeilingsNBA on uh, socials. Uh, for me personally, I'm at Corey Tulliba on Twitter. Um, you can follow me. You'll find all the No Ceiling stuff. The NBA Draft Dude on YouTube and the Draft Dack NBA Draft Podcast, anywhere podcasts are available. And uh, yeah, like I said, you know, I just spent some time with Jake LaRavia and Kevin McCuller. I wrote a piece on No Ceilings NBA, talking about what they'll bring to an NBA team um, and interviewing them and getting their perspective. And, uh, you know, got a, got to film some of their workout footage and, and Kevin's video will be going up on the YouTube channel soon. Jake's is already there. Uh, my interview and the workout footage is with him. And then at, on the No Ceilings TV YouTube channel, uh, myself and, and Tyler Rucker, Backcourt Violation, we started a new show called On the Clock, which is kind of like PTI for the NBA draft, which is a lot of fun. So um, that's probably all of the stuff. I, I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff. We have a draft guide coming out soon that we're working with. It's going to be an actual print version 
um, kind of piggybacking off of the magazines that I had released over the past couple of years, which I'm excited about. So that'll probably be out um, within this next month for people that like want a physical copy to sit down with and read really in-depth scouting profiles on all of probably the top 60 guys that we have on our board. So uh, if you hit any of those links, you'll be able to eventually find that as well. Yeah, definitely check all that stuff out. I know I found you on YouTube a few years ago, and I was like, man, this guy's doing good stuff. I've enjoyed everything that you've continued to do. I've checked out all that No Ceiling stuff. Great content, really excellent stuff. So Spurs fans, if you want to find draft content, Corey's your guy, No Ceilings, Draft Act Podcast, the NBA Draft Dude YouTube channel, everything. Like Check everything out that he just said. Dame, I'll give you a chance to go ahead and shout out your, your social media stuff. I'll throw out my stuff, and then we'll wrap things up for good. Yeah, man. Hey, thanks for joining us again, bro. This is really, really dope. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, he's wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin hat, so I already knew right off the rip it was going to be a great episode. Uh, but yeah, the usual stuff, guys. Follow me on Twitter at da bartonic. Uh, just concluded with the NFL draft. Did a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, if you follow me, you already know everything I've been doing. Uh, but yeah, Noah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for you know setting this up. This is you know Noah's idea, and it was great, man. So I appreciate it. a lot of lot of content coming soon for especially for this podcast. So. Yeah, shout out to shout out to Noah. <laughs> Thanks, Damon. You can also find me in underscore Magaro in uh, M A G A R O. Uh, you can find Dame and I both on Pounding the Rock, but I think that about does it. So thanks again for joining us, and thanks to everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got an amazing staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a wonderful job of keeping you up to date with all the best Spurs news, so check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care. <laughs>